0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of Pet Chat. Cheryl Shaw, back in the house. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. I like when you talk about different animals. We focus on all sorts of animals, and today, yeah, it's not a strange
1: one, but an uncommon one. Yeah, little quails. They are so cute, Sarah, and they're really, really great pets, Okay, mm. and and they're not hard to uh, care
0: for? Is these are the things we're going to find out about, I assume. Absolutely, and also they're very productive for eggs. Ah, good one, and mm-hmm. quail eggs are quite uh, beautiful mm. as they well. Are. And they're expensive. Mm. Mm. They are, delicacy. You haven't purchased more quails, have you? I
1: have. How many does that... Well, I've now got uh, one male and five females, oh. and they're just gorgeous. They really are. They do a great job in my aviary because I've got canaries and finches. They drop a lot of seeds. So that discarded seed, the quails take it off the ground so that eliminates a lot of problems with vermin. Now Cheryl,
0: you're a big fan of quails. You've got a few at home and you think that they're wonderful for the aviary
1: and they do they, they produce eggs? Yep. Look, they're fabulous little pets. They're inexpensive, they're low maintenance and they're really family friendly. So, you know, the children can pick them up and give them a pad and all of that sort of thing. Also, oh, they
0: are quite affectionate. Like oh, yeah. They will
1: let you do all that. Yeah, you just got to be careful never to startle them because they actually fly vertically upward. Oh, and if you startle them, they could hit their head or something like that. So you just have to be careful around them. But they're certainly very, very friendly little birds. But the good thing about keeping quails, like um, you don't have to have an aviary. But if you do, certainly they give a new dimension, another level in that aviary. So for me, I've got my flight birds, and then I've got the ground birds, and that is oh, really quite nice to, to, you know, visually to look at. But with keeping quails, you can um, keep them even in a in a rabbit hutch. So if you've got an empty rabbit hutch or something like that, you can oh. keep. Them in that, so they're really quite easy and versatile to look after. So you know, whether it's be an aviary or you've got that rabbit hutch, you can pop a couple in. And um, the, as I said before, they lay eggs, and the eggs are fantastic because they start laying eggs at about eight weeks of age, which is fairly Gee, that's young. Good. Yeah, and they lay between two hundred and fifty to three hundred a year. So that's an awful wow. lot of eggs. So you're getting—is it usually one egg at a time? Yes, one egg a day.
0: So that'll be every day or yep. every few days. yeah So your
1: hens are. All going to lay an egg a day um, and it just depends some some or like chooks some are better layers than others but usually you get an egg a day and with that you can obviously you can cook with those you can pickle them you can do whole lots of things we should get Gavin on to talk about oh. that one day about pickling eggs and but they're, they're not cheap to buy quail no, eggs no no but they're really really productive little birds you, you don't need a lot of space so you know they're, they're quite happy to feed them it's really simple you can give them um, like your laying pellet food or your crumb your crum- grumble, as they call it, but you can also give them lots of greens. They love grasses, and they're just so easy. Um, finch food, canary food, anything that's, you know, around your birds, they'll be able to, to pick up and eat that. Um, the their yolk in those eggs is bigger than normal, so they have more yolk than white ratio in Perfect. the eggs. Perfect. You like that, Sarah? <laughs> yes. um, they, they are... Um, What should I say? They're fairly calm birds, so they're really nice to be around. So for children as a first pet, um, some children are actually frightened of chickens. You know, they get a little bit startled by them. Um, But for uh, picking them up, they're really great. And another interesting thing when they're... They are in an aviary environment. They love to dig and have dirt baths, so they dig and flap their wings in the dirt. And if you give them diatomaceous earth, they'll dig in that as well, and that helps to control mites and things like that. So that they tend to clean themselves by using the dirt. They're quite social with one another as well, aren't they? Quails, yeah, prails? absolutely. They they really um, the males can get a little bit how hey, you're going because they're very sexually oriented. Oh. but the females are really really good. They never seem to have any. Any problems, they all just get on. They know their little spaces. They congregate, lay in, dig the dirt, and lay in the dirt. They're
0: really sweet birds. So you said you only have one male and the rest are female. Is that? probably better to
1: have a female skewed ratio yeah because when you've got the males they're more prone to have a little bit of a go at each other but because yeah. my male has so many females he's quite he's got happy. a harem he does oh, typical and male no i'm kidding don't <coughs> don't complain it's just a joke but um there's there's about 10 different species of native quails in australia so you know um one of the ones that i have are called jap quails. so there's king quails there's jap quails and there's a whole lot of other ranges but the jap quails and the king quails are the easiest to look after um, they're just really sweet little birds for an environment in a backyard and easier than chooks yeah great starter and, and I guess they're quieter yes well so
0: a great great starter pet if you're thinking about yeah. possibly getting getting something it could be a good
1: option yeah and they're not noisy they're really really sweet birds so I love mine I think they're really sweet how long do they live for Cheryl so again this is going to depend on your husband husbandry, how clean everything is, how well you're feeding them, Um, usually around four years. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. So, so I've had some a little bit longer, some not so long. It just depends. All right.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's really interesting. Yeah, they are sweet. Yeah, they are sweet little birds. Pet chat, we've got Dr. Paul popping in in just a minute to answer any of your questions or concerns. Welcome, Dr. Paul McCarthy. Lovely to have you back in the studio.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Happy to be
0: here. 49216216 is our number now. We've already got a caller for you, Paul. Great. Uh, Eric in Singleton. Now, Eric, our hearts go out to you we know how hard it is when we lose a beloved pet now you've recently lost a maltese shih tzu he passed away from cancer he was only seven and i guess you want to ask paul about cancers being in younger dogs
3: yes if i could please
2: what would have caused that please sure now eric did they tell you the type of cancer that your dog had
4: no no do started to lose a bit of weight,
5: and you're eating and drinking that, alright. Um, I noticed him losing a bit of weight, and because you're so fluffy, I was just too stupid to take him to the vet in time. And then I thought I'd check under his neck and around, and I, I was feeling under his neck, and there's four big um, tumours under his skin. Okay. And by the time I took him to the vet, it spread through his body, as I reckon, and then. That was
2: it Sure, so it certainly sounds like what you were feeling were, were your dog 's lymph nodes, so we have lymph nodes around our body, which are like little factories to send out white cells to fight things for us. Our immune system uses the lymph nodes as little sort of um, barracks for our our cells. Now, there is a particular type of cancer called lymphoma, which is um, a sadly a very common cancer in dogs. And the first sign of lymphoma generally is that the lymph nodes under the chin, or what we call the submandibular lymph nodes, and the lymph nodes just in front of your shoulder, called your prescapular lymph nodes, increase in size. Now, often by the time that they've been found to be enlarged, Lymph nodes are like sort of um, stations on a train line. So once the cancer starts at one of the stations, it follows that sort of train track along to all the other lymph nodes in that train line. And so generally what may have happened in your dog's circumstance is that they may have been quite small lumps initially, but by the time that they were large enough to be palpated, they had all seeded those cells along those train tracks. And so every lymph node in the body can then be enlarged. Now, lymph nodes also have a potential to then... We have lymphoid tissue in our liver and in our in our intestine. Um, and so once you get those lymph nodes all lined up with all these cancer cells sitting in them, they can spread very quickly to other organs as well. Now, lymphoma is a disease, uh, a cancer type, that can occur, sadly, at any age. So um, in, in humans as well, lymphoma can be uh, a cancer of children. So... This is not one of those cancers that is necessarily age-based. Lots of tumours find are more commonly in dogs that are older, but lymphoma doesn't have any any age predisposition.
0: Oh. And Eric, it sounds like you're blaming yourself a little bit and it sounds like it's, you've done absolutely nothing wrong. It's, it's just one of those things, unfortunately, that can happen.
2: Yeah, Eric, oh, mo- most, most cancers are, in, are inherited. So you inherit the propensity to develop a cancer type, which is why there are now blood tests for people, for example, to give you an indication whether you carry that cancer gene and there is work being done in canine medicine to try and have the same list of blood tests so just that we
3: took so quick uh,
4: just uh, i couldn't get out how just went for him so yeah, quick
2: yeah and certainly yeah. lymphoma can be a very very aggressive cancer type um the fortunate thing and something to hold on to is as a bit of support for you is that fortunate lymphoma isn't a painful cancer. It, it makes dogs very tired um, and it affects their appetite eventually because they find it very hard to swallow. Yeah. Um, but it, but fortunately, it's not so much one of those painful tumours that some of the cancers can be. So do take some solace in knowing that he wouldn't have been in pain.
0: And, Erica, I hope you heal. And uh, you sound like a wonderful pet owner, so I hope you get to a point where you can share that love with, with another animal because, obviously, you care very deeply. Welcome to the show, always Wonderful to have your company, Paul. We had a bit of a tragedy at um, home this week. Well, it's not a tragedy yet, but I'm feeling very awful as oh, well. No. Um, I think I've given my fish ammonia poisoning. Oh no!
2: Um, my okay.
0: my big goldfish. I mm. and I feel very uh, sad that I didn't pick up on it sooner because he's very hungry all the time. And every time you walk past the tankies, you know, he's got his mouth open. And he stopped doing that. And I said to my husband a week or so ago something wrong with our, you know, with our fish, he's not as energetic. And then he started to get the red spots and then I went, oh my God, the tank looked clean, but obviously I was not keeping it clean. So I've done a 50% water change. Oh, terrific. Um, You know, I've cleaned it. I'm going to do another water change in in a few days. I'm thinking that's the right thing. Can we come back from this? Look,
2: and certainly depends how, um, how affected the fish (sighs) is, but you're doing the right things. So as you know, generally it's about the, the buildup of products in the water. Mm,
0: I feel really bad. Yeah.
2: and any of those nitrogen-based products building up from food, breaking down, um, fecal material building up, it, it can be quite easily missed. Mm. Um, and so I often do get suggested to owners, um, often the sediment underneath those little pebbles is where all of this stuff is sitting. Right. And not necessarily looking for the, the staying on the side of a tank. Um, we all... Focus on the algae. The yes,
0: that's what I was looking at, and the the yeah. water looked quite clean. That's and, it. But I was killing it. him, and he was coming up to the top, and that's when I went, "Oh my yeah. god, he's I'm not his. getting
2: enough oxygen in my water." Yeah. <gasps> so, yeah.
0: will the spots disappear if he heals? Correct. That's right. Oh, well, wish me luck. I'll Fingers let you crossed, know in a, in a week's time. Look, we do have a call coming through four nine two one six two one six Cole in Salamander. Uh, you had a Lorikeet that was was quite unwell and did pass away.
6: Yes, I did. Uh, She was very... um, I loved her very much, and she used to love red wine. Um, (laughs) She wouldn't drink anything like she'd drink water, but uh, when I'd have a red wine, she'd always want to stick her tongue in it and uh, have it with me.
2: She was a wine Uh, connoisseur, Cole.
6: Oh, she was, but uh, (laughs) that and coffee. She loved coffee. But uh, the big thing is... um, I was very attached to her, anyway, she got plucked up for a couple of days and then she laid on the arm and laid everywhere around me, mm. and uh, anyway, then I uh, put her into the cage like normal of a night, and she just woke up, I got my wife, got up next morning and got her out, and she was dead.
2: Yeah So the problem for us with most bird illnesses Col is that they tend to show their illnesses when they're very, very sick. So so most birds, because of the fact that if they're in the wild and they show an, an illness, um, often become a victim of either other birds pecking them or, or from predators. So birds generally try and show that they're really, really healthy for as long as they can. And so often a disease can be quite advanced before a bird will show you any signs at all. Um, and certainly fluffed up is generally sign number one. Um, the second thing to watch for, for early signs of birds, and look, and, and this is goes for, for all birds with illnesses, um, generally there'll be a reduction in appetite. Look for the, the, what's being passed. The actual contents in those urates rates can change as well. So looking for the amount of water stain around faecal output. Um, and the other thing to look for is that if you watch a bird, it very rarely shows you any signs of breathing, But if you start to see a bird whose tail bobs up and down as it's sitting still, that bird's finding it hard to breathe. And often they're the very early, subtle signs you can then pick um, and get your bird to a vet as soon as you can. So birds are not one of those sort of species that we say, um, see how things are in a week's time, because generally a sick bird is not going to be with us in a week's time. So with a bird showing any signs of illness, so fluffed up appearance, reduced appetite, um, change in, in, in motions and breathing changes, so that tail bobbing as they breathe, that's an indicator to get your bird to the vet ASAP. Uh,
6: is there any idea of what it could have been? Because what I, I thought it might have been, being so cold, I had an open fire for the wife and I, and it didn't keep going all night, and I thought she might have got pneumonia from the fire.
2: Oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that would have been a situation that would be quite likely. C- certainly uh, birds can be affected by cold. Um, but I imagine that your environment inside your home wouldn't have got too cold and I imagine there was a cover over the the cage at night, so um, I would think that would be less likely. But certainly um, pneumonia um, can be a a problem in birds and they'll often present fluffed up initially. Um, Sadly for birds, they can only show us they're sick in about three ways, but so actually telling them which of those... um, uh, problems is the cause can be difficult in veterinary science. You've often got to do things like blood testing and X-rays to be able to find the cause because they'll often present fluffed up as as uh, as their first sign of sickness. And the list of diseases that present with fluffed up is, I think, almost three hundred. So wow. it is it, often difficult to tell from that one one clinical sign.
0: All right, Cole. Well, look. Thank, 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 you, very thank you very much very for much. the call. My
2: condolences, Cole.
6: Yeah. yeah. I have tried to try to replace her, but I can't find anyone that's got little lorikeets that I can take with her because she was very. I was very
2: fond of her. Of course, it takes the time. It, it takes some time to grieve. Anyway, Cole. I think often people rush in too soon, and and the, and the new pet suffers from the fact that they're not the old pet. Mm. Um, it's important to just recognise a new family member, not a replacement.
0: All right, Cole, thank you again for the call. Let's go to Wendy now in Caves Beach. Wendy, your cat has uh, lost its appetite.
5: Uh, Yes, it's actually not my cat. It's my father's cat. It's um, an old tabby, about 13 years old, a bit like a dog. It follows him everywhere. And they have set routines. He has dry food during the day. And then at night time, my father gives him um, kangaroo mints, which he's always liked. But now, um, he seems to lick it, he seems to want to eat it, Um, and sometimes he eats none, sometimes he eats half, and I I was looking at him um, uh, last time he had his dinner, and he seemed to be chewing just on the right-hand side, so um, I'm not real sure what's going on there.
2: Yeah, sure, Wendy. So I think, I I guess the, the, the obvious thing that comes to mind for me is he may have dental disease. So cats, particularly if they've had a wet food diet in combination with a dry food diet, the wet food can hang around the teeth after an animal's finished eating and predispose those teeth to forming calculus and and then getting dental disease. So um, I would think certainly if you're seeing the cat eat on one side in particular, um, it probably indicates there may be either teeth that are infected on the other side Or even worse, there may be masses inside the oral cavity as well. You can get tumours in cats inside the oral cavity. It's not a white cat, is it?
5: No, it's a tabby. Tabby, tabby, tabby yes. Yeah. So
2: certainly um, often they're less likely than the pale pigmented animals to develop oral tumours. But in an older cat, you'd need to certainly rule out those as well. Um, the third thing you can get also is cats that can often have lesions on their tongue. So there's a, a, a syndrome called eosinophilic granuloma complex, which can make the tongue have little ulcers on them, um, and that can make a cat not wish, wish to eat. And then the, the third, the, the last thing I guess is that one of the things that can cause oral pain is if you have advanced kidney disease. So oh, cats, yeah. <laughs> who, older cats whose kidneys have had some problems, either infection or due to age, can get um, build up of nitrogen in their bloodstream, and it can cause ulcers on their their lips, their um, junk, their, their gums, and also their tongue. So this would be a, certainly a good indication to have a vet check out this cat for you.
5: Oh, okay. Oh. Um, in the meantime, should we stop the um, kangaroo meat? He still seems to eat the dry food.
2: Yep. Oh. Look, I think at this stage, whatever the cat, I would suggest feeding the cat whatever the cat would like to eat would be important. But um, I think probably getting to that vet might be a really good idea soon because if it is dental disease, it can be very easily corrected. Mm.
0: Now, this is an unusual one. We've got Leanne from Kitchener on the line. Leanne, what seems to be the problem?
5: Um, my dog, I noticed she's an old pug. So she's 15 and I noticed that she's um, her back legs have been um, wasting a muscle and that her backbone is actually, it's come right up. And um, I'm pretty sure she's probably, her father had something similar. So they lose feeling in the back legs and that affects mobility and now she's incontinent as well. So yeah. we're coming up with strategies to try and help her. But um, you know, I just wanted to know like, if there was anything else we could do to make her life a little bit easier.
2: Sure. So I think, Leanne, the first thing would be to have a vet do an examination and do what's called a neurological exam. So what you're looking for is um, there are certain uh, lack of nerve responses that would indicate that there is a spinal lesion. I think certainly your guess is correct. I think there is something happening in the spinal cord. Um, And and if we can confirm where the lesion is likely to be. So because the spinal cord is a long sort of... um, has lots of nerves coming up at different areas. You can do testing, um, even with a physical examination, to work out where along the spinal cord that compression or that lesion may be. And depending upon that, there can be different medications used to try and make the either the nerve impulses improve um, or the function of the legs to improve as well. So um, certainly I think that this would be a really good opportunity to have a, have a chat to your vet. Um, there are lots of things you can do for these guys. They're not always going to be a situation where there is no treatment. There are obviously some, some illnesses where there won't be a, re- a remedy, but initially getting a diagnosis for what the cause would be would be step one.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right, Thanks. Leanne. Thank you very much for the call. Now, Paul, you're in Chisholm. You've got a rescue dog, a Maltese poodle cross, but a little bit antisocial with other dogs.
3: Yeah. So uh, she's we've had her for about uh, eight or nine weeks. Uh, every other aspect is absolutely wonderful. She's very affectionate, She's beautifully house trained, and and she's just uh, you know now part of the family after a short period. However. Our, afternoon constitutional at 4 o'clock every day is becoming a bit of a, a trial, actually. She, um, she goes after every dog. Mm-hmm. She's very angry and bounces and, and uh, you know, sometimes I just have to sort of pick her up and cradle her to keep her out of trouble. And she does punch above her weight, so she, yeah. she'll <laughs> take on big dogs. <laughs> now, at 11 years of age, is this something we just have to live with or at that age, can she be trained out of it?
2: Okay, Paul. So the, the, the simple answer, sadly, is that this is probably how she's going to be now. Um, right. so, at, so what you're dealing with is a dog that has um, fear aggression. So due to an anxiety about being hurt by other dogs, um, what your dog has done is its, it's sort of um, defense mechanism is try and bluff and scare everybody away. So if I can look as big and as angry and as aggressive as I can, then hopefully that other dog will fight somebody else, not me. Now, at 11, this will be a, a pretty much a habitual response now. So it's worked. For 11 years, she stayed alive by using this bluffing technique. And so now she's going to do that whenever she feels threatened. And I'd be honest, I don't think she's probably enjoying this walk at all. So... I would think if she's happy in her home, with, in your yard, with you guys, I think encouraging her to do this walk probably isn't a win for either of you. I think you're getting anxious about the dog's behavior, and I think a dog's getting anxious about the walk. So um, I would probably think in this circumstance, you might be better to let this be a we're super happy at home, we're relaxed at home, let's stay at home.
3: Yeah, so just one question um, along those lines. She does have a lot of energy. I mean, Mm -hmm. apart from the fact that she wants to chase other dogs. So there's no other dogs around. um, You you know, a half-hour walk is nothing to her. Yeah,
2: so I I would make it it a game in your backyard. So you could give her her half-hour, hour play. It's just somewhere where she feels safe. Um, I often liken it to people who, we we always seem to think dogs need a walk. Um, And I'm often encouraging clients to maybe not give their dog a walk if it scares them and have that energy be something that you spend at home.
0: Okay, so the exercise is still important, but exercise you important. need to be somewhere Just where there's no do it other dogs. do where they dogs. feel safe, yeah. Okay, let's go to Helen now. Uh, Helen, we're, we're talking about uh, animals that may have you, be a little bit antisocial or have aggression, and you've got an 18-month-old silver tabby. And uh, out of the blue, she's become aggressive.
4: Yeah, no, he's a little he. He's he, a little male. Hello, Paul. And Hello. The, yes, Sarah. Um, yes, and like he's generally a loving little little boy, and um, and he's indoors. He's just indoor cat. But he, and he'll sit on my lap, and he's affectionate, and I'll and he'll go to sleep in my lap. And then I just you know generally it's just the normal response that you just like to just pat him while he's sitting on your lap, and then he all of a sudden he, he like he, he doesn't like it, and he just looks up and just. It, the eyes change, and then he just goes in for the like the kill, and he just sort of grab, you know, might grab the forearm. Yeah. But I've sort of got it, and whether it's like a form of arousal that they can't control it, they're in a happy mode, or I don't know. But the, then, but the other day I was just on the computer, and I was just doing that, and then he comes in, and I'm saying what's, the and then he just it randomly takes my my leg. Yeah. And left me like four puncture wounds oh. on my lower leg. And I said, what did you do that for? You know, and I sort of rouse some and say, oh, you know, don't do that. But it's just randomly. Otherwise, he's just friendly, you know, welcomes visitors and things like that. But it's quite strange.
2: Mm. Yeah, sure, Helen. I sort of Time, time, yeah type of trains will, will make the challenge me to, to answer this one for you. Um, the first thing to be looking at is um, indoor cats can develop quite um, unusual behaviors because they 're not being able to use their their sort of normal behaviors in a, a fashion that gets the energy burnt up. So often the, the most oh. important is often trying to encourage a lot of other gameplays, plays um, so that we can try and get some of those hunting behaviours and some of those anxious behaviours redirected to a, a more appropriate format than sort of choosing you as a chew toy. Um, certainly getting energy burnt up with other activities can be a help for indoor cats because often indoor cats haven't got a lot of stimuli that, get those sorts of behaviours to be be released. And often we can encourage some of those natural behaviours to be used in other formats, so chasing a ribbon or a laser light or um, chew toys. You can teach your cat to fetch. Um, There's all sorts of things you can do to try and get some of that energy to be used in a a more appropriate fashion. Um, I always encourage any owners with a cat to only pat your cat if the cat initiates the pat. So if your cat's right. sleeping yep. with you, do not pat your cat. Um, it's a little bit like if you were asleep yourself and someone sort of patting you, you can wake up with a bit of a shock.
4: Yeah, true. So yeah, generally if a cat
2: comes up and bats your face or bats your hand for a pat, then it wants the patting. Um, some cats are a bit more hands-on than others. Some cats don't like pats at all. And so it's really just letting your cat dictate when it wants that physical attention and not enforcing the, physical attention at your discretion, let the cat ask for it.
4: Okay, that's, that's fair enough. So like when I was sitting at the computer, he probably sort of whether he wanted attention or whether he wanted to do something with the Correct, he's bored. got
2: energy, he's, he's not using up, he creates his own game.
0: Energy to burn. Yeah. Oh, good luck, Helen. Let's go to our final caller. Thank you for waiting. We've got Matt in Singleton. You've got an Aussie bulldog and a yeast infection, and you're just wondering whether the food could play a part in that.
6: Yeah, that's right, guys. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, just if it's a dietary problem or also shampoos and things like that. We do bath him quite often, but he. Well,
2: seems to be a bit smelly. Yeah. So look, I'm assuming this is yeast between the pads, in the ears, in the skin folds. That, that that's where the yeast infection is being picked up from. That's where you're yeah, seeing well,
6: it. Yeah. Um. It, it's not so much something that's a visual thing that the the, uh, the local vet sort of had into just just say that
2: it's sort of in the skin. So that yeah. It, yeah. So I, I think predominantly you've got an Aussie bulldog. And so more or less, Aussie bulldogs come with yeast infections, just about. Um, So they have an overproduction often of a... So we have a natural flora on our skin, and part of a natural flora is often a yeast called Malassezia. Now, Malassezia is what's giving you that, that quite yeasty smell um and to be honest this will be a maintenance condition rather than a curable condition in that it's about keeping the levels of yeast low rather than you'll be able to remove them um you certainly can remove them you can use oral antifungals in a you know a long-term process to try and keep those down as well oral antifungals often have some other side effects so it's something to discuss if you're vet about whether it's at a level that requires that degree of attention um Certainly, um, any of the skin um, reactions can increase humidity on the skin, so your your discussion about food is not an is actually quite a good point in that dogs who have underlying food allergies will have increased humidity on their skin, and the increased humidity will encourage the growth of yeasts. so you can certainly look at using low allergenic food trials to see if it makes a difference for the for the coat. Um, about one in three dogs that have yeast infections will have a, an underlying allergic skin disease as a component. And so you could be lucky and if it is food causing it. Using a low allergenic food type may reduce your, your levels of yeast on the skin. There will always be some. It's part of our natural flora. Um, but otherwise it is a matter of then using shampoos on a regular basis to keep those yeast levels down.
6: Okay then, and things like uh, like a chicken like chicken and rice, like a more uh, what would you say? Um, you know, like a non a non processed diet. Is that any? Is
2: yeah. That any so there's. So what happens with with. Food allergies is generally the protein that's the allergen that will the allergenic component, and so it's often looking at a a food protein your dog's never been fed before. So most sort of allergy based diets are generally fish based um, because often dogs aren't fed fish. The other thing about fish too is that because it has a higher level of omega three and omega six fatty acids, that can help skin that's often quite irritated to not be quite so irritated. So you'll talk to your local pet shop there'll be lots of food types that will often be advised to be low allergenic and often they'll contain protein sources such as fish um, tapioca uh, venison they're often food types that we don't commonly feed dogs and are therefore often much less allergenic Um, The idea of grain-free can be an option for you as well. Some dogs do seem to have a better uh, skin coat when fed grain-free diets. Um, And so I think often have a chat to your vet about those too because there can be often ways that you can look at that as well, as well as there there being prescription diets that are specifically designed to have um, the, the, the proteins changed so they become less allergenic.
0: Thank you very much for your call, Matt. And that's just about it for Pet Chat today. Thank you, everyone, who phoned in today. We will be back next week if you didn't get time to ask your question, 49216216. Dr Paul, you've worked hard today. I have.
2: It's been a busy day. It has been. It's always good to be busy.
0: You can go have a cup of tea now and relax. On 2NURFM, have a wonderful afternoon.
3: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle.